thank you for listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, check out our website at stttimothysstores.org or visit us at 6 p.m. on Sundays at the Nathan Hale Inn. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Maggie. You can have a seat. Our scripture uh, reading for tonight is 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 13. So you can follow along with your um, bulletin or you can just listen. And again, we'll do a teaching out of the passage, but first just listen to it and listen to what maybe the Lord is highlighting for you. We want to engage the scriptures with our hearts and our minds as well. So this is 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacon, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask that you would uh, keep speaking to us uh, through your word, that you would reveal your heart and mind to us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, um, so this passage is all about who should lead the church, right? So who is, is fit? Last week, I'll do a real brief recap, but last week we saw that Paul temporarily prohibits the women from leading, in the te- leading and teaching in Ephesus because like Eve, they've been deceived. So Eve represents not all women, but all who have been deceived uh, by false teaching. So because there's a temporary prohibition going on, that's why it's the men in this section. Does that, does that follow? That's why we get the pronouns. So, so first, I just want to say, who should lead the church? Only men? Yes. Presumably, yeah. So basically, Paul fires two male elders who are teaching heresy in the church, and um, yeah, and it's an indefinite prohibition for. And a lot of the 
false teaching had gotten into the congregation and, and gotten uh, a lot of the women were promoting it. So Paul basically puts a time out. Okay, everybody, these two guys, gone, and uh, we're not going to have... It seems like Paul was not sure if it was like Sally or Jenny or Betty, so he just puts them in time out for a little bit and says, listen, you guys need to learn first before you teach, and kind of sends Timothy there as teaching. So Timothy's going to teach for a, for a time there. So, um, But it, yeah, it's um, indefinite until... Uh, uh, things uh, things change, um, but what I would say is so so that was sort of last week's that we looked at. We can talk more about it, um, but our, obviously Emily teaches a lot here. We don't think that women are prohibited forever. So the question is, are we, that text prohibits some women for some time from leading and teaching, but it does not prohibit, in our understanding, all women for all time. Um, and part of the reason um, is that uh, there are women who lead and teach in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So there's several examples of that. We Just real briefly, Miriam, who's Moses' sister, uh, she leads the people of Israel with uh, Moses and Aaron. So Micah 6.8, this is the Lord speaking to his people. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. This is the Lord saying, I sent you a woman to lead uh, Deborah leads. She's uh, in the book of Judges. So that's the highest authority. See, we think of judges. Well, I don't know what you think of judge, but back then it was like ruler, king, the highest. There's nobody, there's no one else to appeal to. So you've got Miriam, you've got Deborah. Huldah was a respected prophet in King Uzziah's time, one of seven women who prophesied. So women leading and teaching God's people was rare in the Old Testament, but they're there. So they're rare, but there. In the New Testament, you have Junius, who's listed by Paul as one of the apostles, which is sort of the highest authority in the New Testament. Priscilla was a teacher. She uh, taught with her husband, but her name is always first. So it's Priscilla and Aquila. So that would be like Mrs. and Mr. Right. So unusual today, very unusual back then. But she was clearly the better teacher. Um, or the more respected uh, had the higher um, status. So we've got Junius as an apostle, Priscilla as a teacher. She also taught Apollos, who's an apostle, so a woman teaching another apostle. Women prophesied regularly in the New Testament church. Women are regularly listed as co-laborers, co-ministers, and women served as deacons. So probably the most famous would be Phoebe, who delivered the letter of Romans to the church at Rome. And when you delivered the letter, you were supposed to interpret it. So can you imagine? So Phoebe's like, all right, this is what Paul meant, <laughs> if you've ever read Romans. So there are a lot of women, leader, women leading and teaching God's people. The other thing is, for some folks who would try to use this passage to say that women can't lead or teach in the church because of the male pronouns throughout, that same argument would prohibit uh, single men. Because Paul is assuming married men with children. So, Jesus wouldn't be able to lead or teach in the church. Paul would not be able to lead or teach in the church. Timothy would not be able to lead or teach in the church. So, you wouldn't have 1 Timothy, which is Paul to Timothy. To the, you know, does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense. So, I think when we're looking at this, we need to say, listen, Paul is temporarily... Uh, put placing a ban on women leading and teaching. He's assuming 
that the men are married and have children, which would have been the standard. But it doesn't eliminate single men or women. Okay? So that's not what it is about. But I think if you just read this passage in isolation, you don't read the rest of the the letter, you don't read the rest of the New Testament, you could come away with uh, thinking something different. But so who should lead the church? Only men. No, leadership is available to everybody. To men, to women, to married, to single. Okay? Uh, Who should lead the church? The first thing that Paul says positively is those who want to. Those who want to. That the desire for leadership in the church is good. Right? If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And just just real briefly about desire. Some of your desires are bad. Okay? I may desire vengeance upon my enemies. If someone hurts me and I want to hurt them back, that's bad. How, I, how do I know that's bad? Because the Bible says that's bad, right? So some desires are bad. Some of our desires are mixed. Probably a lot of them fall into this category, right? They're not all good or all bad, right? There's kind of a mix there. Maybe they need to be refined. And then some desires are good. You have desires in your heart because God put them there. And so with desire... Um, it's good for leaders to want to lead, but it's it's good for all people to know what you want. So, what does Darif want? A job. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. But um, but what, one one of the things that's interesting is uh, you know I uh, work with people at the hospital and stuff, and I ask them this question, or it's a little slightly different. Like, what are your hopes? Right? And they say, you know, like. I don't know, you know. And it's like, well, let's start with, I don't know, but I'd like to find out, right? So it's important for us to be in touch with our desire. Desire is important. Even the, And by the way, the bad ones are important to acknowledge and name so that they can be changed. So ignoring your desires is not a good way to go in life. We want to acknowledge them. We want to discern them and ask God, okay, is this from you? Right? Am I supposed to fan this desire into flames? Or is this, does this need to be tweaked a little bit? Am I kind of a little bit off? Or, you know, some of them it's like, okay, well, you got to let that go. So. so who should lead the church? Those who want to. Uh, who should lead the church? Those with proven ability. Right? He says uh, a couple of times, right, he must manage his household well. He must be able to teach. So teaching and managing. Are, seem to be two of the abilities, right? So those with ability, managing and teaching. So the requirements for leading in the church is really past faithfulness with the gifts and opportunities that you've been given, right? So past faithfulness. So you have been given gifts. I've been given gifts. We've all been given gifts. Are we using them where we are, right? So that's the idea behind the household. Listen, so to the men... How are you doing in your own household? Are you, are you managing that? Are you teaching your children? Because if you're not doing that there, what would make us think that you would be able to do it here? Right? So, uh, you know, uh, the gifts, leadership and teaching are gifts in Romans 12, Romans, uh, and then teaching in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. So we want to lead where we are in our families, amongst our peers, in our work. Right, lead where we are. And if you think of leadership, don't think of leadership as positional. Nobody 
in today's day and age, nobody cares. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, I have this title. It's like, okay, congratulations. It's more, think of it as an influence, I think is a better way of thinking about it, is that leadership is influence. So we want to lead where we are, and we want to teach where we are. And not all teaching is verbal. Most of it is nonverbal. People observe us, and our actions are teaching. Um, so... Who should lead those with proven ability? Basically, basically people who are leading and teaching in the context they already are in. And this is important because, um, you know, I will, I will meet, I've met people, um, we, you'll, we'll, we'll meet them. And they, they'll say, I have this call from God and I have these gifts and I want to do this, that and the other thing in your church, in your ministry, in whatever. But I don't know them. I've never met them before. And they, uh, and they sort of expect that because they have a call and because they have a gift, that they should be given a platform immediately to do something. Um, and I can affirm, you may have this call and you may have this, these gifts, but we don't know you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We don't know you. So I, uh, and quite frankly, um, until we get to know you a little bit, we're not going to do that. Um, We want to, and for, this is about leadership in the church, so leading and teaching, but it's really about any gift. Whatever gifts that you have that God has given you, you want to use them right here, right now, in your current context. Don't wait for some like future opportunity. We want to steward what we've been given here and now. Right? Does, does that make sense? Can I get an amen? <laughs> so we want to serve where we are. In our families, amongst our friends, our colleagues, at work, wherever we are. That's, we want to be faithful with what we've been given. Okay? And lastly, and this is the most important thing. So, who leads? Those who want to. Those who can. A proven ability to lead, manage, and teach. But ultimately, what Paul spends most of his time on, who should lead the church? Those with good character. That the requirement for leadership is really exemplary morality. So good character. And how do we know? So this is just an interesting counter. I'm not sure that we have this in society at large at this day. Right, right. There's a lot of um, like flash or like ability or making a splash or this kind of stuff. And what Paul is saying is that leadership really is all about character. Right. You should want to do it. You should have a desire for it. You should have some ability. But ultimately, leadership is character. So if we can't follow your character, we're not following your leadership. And um, I, I don't know that that's... Uh, yeah, it's, just, it's worth just pausing there and just saying, okay. Thank you, Paul. Um, and how do we know if someone has good character? Um, all of these qualities are observable over time. Right? So this is not about, well, I get a... No, I'm, I'm an intuitive person, so I get vibes or feels or spidey sense, however you want to put it or whatever. You know, and that's good. And that's, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. How do we know if someone has good character? We observe them over time. So we see them in different situations, in different contexts 
um, uh, when things are good, when things are bad, when things are indifferent, you know, when they're feeling good, when they're sick, when they're tired, you know, when they're under pressure. So that's we observe them over time. And um, really, time is the test. Time is the test for character. And then how do we know if we have good character? So let's personalize it. Uh, how do we know if we have good character? Well, I would say there's two ways we, we do it. We assess ourselves and we ask others for their assessment. Right? How would we know? So we would go through the... Here's an unhelpful way of, of looking at this passage. Wow! Those church leaders, they really have got to, you know, get a move on. Okay. Because <laughs> you know? um, if you think of leadership as influence, everybody has a measure of influence. So everybody's a leader, right? I mean, everyone has a measure of influence somewhere. So this applies to all of us. And so what I would suggest is that we assess ourselves. So look over the list. Is this true of me? Now, whenever I would do an assessment like this, I would recommend that you do it with the Lord. Right? So intentionally invite God into a conversation. God, let's talk about this. What are, the, what are, what are some areas that you see uh, where maybe I'm a little weak on? Let's talk about that. Right, because we don't want to just come through it with our minds. Sometimes our own self-perception can be too generous or too critical. Right? We can, we can either ignore everything and just be like, ah, yeah, everything's fine. Or we can be a little bit hypercritical. So it's good to invite God to do that into a, a, an assessment. The other thing to do is to ask others. Now, some people will tell you whether you ask them or not. <laughs> Right? Some people will tell you whether you ask them or not. But here's the thing, and this is, this is just a, an important you know, life lesson. The facts are your friends. Right? We should not be afraid of the truth. Right? All truth is God's truth. And what I would say is some of the best feedback I've, I've received, the most helpful, has been from people that, quite frankly, I didn't like very much. They didn't like me. And they were trying to wound me with the truth. Right? I, I, what I say to Emily sometimes is that our friends lie to us to protect us. Our enemies tell us the truth to hurt us. And, it, it's, it's, it, and the truth of the matter is some of the best, some of the best feedback that I've received that has been helpful to me and has helped me grow. I didn't like love it. I'm not like, oh, thank you for saying that. But it's been uh, from people who are... Um, you know, I, I, so when I receive feedback, I, what I do is I don't. I try not to react immediately, right? Um, I listen, and then I take it before the Lord, and I say, "Okay, let's talk about this. Like, what 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 in here is good, and what's not good, right?" Um, so one example. So at another church that I was serving at, uh, we did like a whole congregational survey. It was about a lot of variety of topics, all this different kind of stuff. And there was a there was a section that was uns, basically just give us feed. It wasn't specific to any question. It was sort of like an open question. So give us some random feedback. So what I got was, um, you know, when Vince preaches, he repeats himself. He repeats himself. He repeats himself. He repeats himself. Do you get it? Question mark. So I read that and I was like. I was not happy. <laughs> My initial reaction was, 
screw this guy. You know what I'm saying? I knew who it was. You could just tell. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I thought about it. And I, at the time, I was, I mean, I've gone through different styles of preaching. But at the time, I preached, uh, like, outline. And I did. I did. He was, he was correct. It wasn't very nice. It wasn't very gracious. But it was very correct. Then I went to see, um, a, I went to a conference and I saw a preacher who was using a manuscript. And I was like, so I changed it. I started using a manuscript and I got better. My preaching got a lot better. He was right. I, I was not good off an outline. Now, was he trying to bless me with that? No. But can you be blessed by that? I was. You know? And so I just use that as an example. Um, you know, and, and so some of this stuff is going to be harder. So that's more of an example of a uh, feedback over uh, performance or uh, evaluative over a, uh, uh, an action that you're doing. But, you know, when we're talking about character, that can be sensitive. But I would just encourage you to ask people in your life, um, for feedback on a regular basis, um, and I'll, uh, let, let me let me put a, a shout out in terms of the feedback. I read this book a couple of years ago. It's called Thanks for the Feedback. It's excellent. Um, I don't get money from from the copies, but basically in the book, he's, a lot of the problem comes from there's actually three kinds of feedback that we're looking for or giving. One would be appreciation. So hey, well done, Maggie. Well done. Okay, that's a form of feedback. And sometimes we're looking for that, right? So that's a form. Another form of feedback would be, um, you know, evaluation. So, you know, Maggie, that was an A. You see what I'm saying? Which is different than well done. It's like, well, where, give me some performance grade. Don't just tell me good job. Give me my my letter grade, right? And then there's another one that would say, um, uh, you know, here's here's what you could do to tweak it to be a little bit better or something like that. So, which is coaching. So sometimes we're looking for appreciation, good job. Sometimes we're looking for coaching. Here's how you can do it better. Sometimes we're looking for um, evaluation. So you get an A. Does that make sense? And where we get switched is if I'm looking for evaluation, you give me coaching. Or if I'm looking for appreciation, you're giving me coaching. I just want you to say, good job, and I don't want to hear you say, hey, here's how you improve this. But that's where people get the hairs crossed a little bit. And it's important to have all three. It's really important to have all three. But basically, it's important to solicit it. Think of this. If character is key, right, and um, then we're going to need feedback from others. What they observe of our behavior over time. And what I would say is, is, for leadership, if we take it back into the leadership thing, who gets to lead? Those who want to, those who can, those who have exceptional character. Okay? But I would say that this passage really gives us a template for any dream that you have. Okay? So what is the dream that God has given you? So maybe it's to lead in the church, maybe it's something else. But what's the dream God has put in your heart? Okay, if you put a dream there, there are gifts that go with that dream. Right? There are special abilities that God has given you that go with that. So you pursue your dream using your gifts, but ultimately your character is what's going to move you forward or not. Right? I believe that everybody here has a dream from God. Amen. That God has put. Right? And I believe there are gifts that go with that dream. 
So we want to pursue that dream. We want to identify those gifts. And we want to work on our character so it doesn't derail. Because what ends up happening is any one of those things can trip you up. You know, I've seen people flame out of ministry because of uh, sex issues. I've seen people flame out of ministry because of money issues. I've seen people flame out because of power issues. Those are kind of the big three, power and control. Um, I've seen addiction issues. Um, So, yeah, I mean, so God has a dream and he's put it in your heart. He's given you gifts and uh, we need to figure out uh, to shore up our character where it's a little bit deficient. And here's why. I mean, I think it's important to, it's not because you need to be perfect in order to lead. Because that's not going to happen. Nobody's perfect. You know what I'm saying? This is not like um, a moral standard that you can't meet. But the reason is that we have an enemy. And our enemy is not people, right? We saw that a couple weeks ago, right? We pray for everybody. People are not our enemies. If I'm thinking a person is my enemy, I'm wrong, okay? They may not be my friend, (laughs) but they're not my enemy, okay? But I just want to read this to you. This is from the spiritual exercise of Ignatius. He was the founder of the Jesuits. And um, he he has these rules for um, discernment, discernment of spirits. I'll I'll just read to you his, I think there's a lot of wisdom here. And he writes this. This is Ignatius. To use still another comparison, the enemy acts like a military commander who's attempting to conquer and plunder his objective. The captain and leader of an army on a campaign sets up his camp, studies the strengths and structure of a fortress, and attacks it at its weakest point. In the same way, the enemy of human nature prowls around and from every side probes all of our theological, cardinal, and moral virtues. Then, at the point where he finds us weakest and in most need in regard to our eternal salvation, there he attacks and tries to take us. So the enemy, Satan, the devil, non-human evil in the world will attack you precisely at where you're at your weakest. Not where you're at your strongest, but where you're at your weakest. We already know this. We can already see this in the lives, maybe in our own lives, but other lives. You ever watch somebody and they keep falling down in the same way? And you're like, wow, how is that, you know? It's because they're being attacked in the same way because it works. Right? The enemy is not creative. The enemy will keep attacking us in the same way that works every time. So what we want to do, this is not about we need to be perfect and we need the approval of everybody. That's not what this is about. This is about we have an enemy that will attack us at our weakest. So we should know where are we at our weakest. What is our weakest link or our weakest spot?